Welcome to Chinuch 2.0, a show about the massive changes happening to how we do Chinuch, some of which may never be the same again. listening to the show, how do you feel about your children's schools? You know how every time you shop somewhere, you stay in a hotel, you rent a car, you get an email asking you to rate the experience, and they ask you to please give us five stars or tell us how we can do better. Would you give your children's school five stars? I think that for many of us, we would have a hard time doing so. As parents, many of us struggle to pay tuition for our children's education. But still, how many times did we say, especially over the past year, is this what we're paying tuition for? The teachers might not be teaching well, the kids just might be misbehaving a little too often, and they go through school not getting the proper education that they should be. And often, the principal is too overwhelmed, tired, or just stuck in their ways to get involved, and life goes on. But there's got to be a better way. You know, in the, in the Gaisha world, Lots of effort, science, studies have been put into educational systems. As parents of Yiddish and Neshamas, it's our job to make sure we're doing our best and being mechanach our children. So Naima Tenenbaum, she has a master's in education and instruction, and she has seen firsthand that the experience of education can be improved. She has years of experience of teaching and from schools, and she put together a program that helps teachers teach better and helps principals support the teachers that the teachers could do a better job. So this was an honest and open discussion about the real issues facing our children's schools, things that we're not doing, and the steps that we can take to drastically improve the experience. Let's go to our conversation with Naima Tenenbaum. So we're speaking with Mrs. Naima Tenenbaum. She's from Baltimore, and she's been an educator for a number of years. She has a master's in education and instruction. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me tonight. Sure. My pleasure. So before we start, just if you want to tell the audience what's your background in the educational space and how you've come to, the, to talk about these topics. Yeah. So I um, started out thinking I was going to go into the medical field, and I did some, all the prerequisites there was great. And I started working and I realized I just, I felt like anyone could do what I was doing. And I had a certain something that I felt I could offer to um, schools and specifically from school. So I started teaching and I was totally hooked. Um, I started off teaching high school girls and then I went to teaching elementary school boys um, in Hadarim. And I also now I I also teach high school girls again as well. And I teach in college. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, lots of experience in the classroom. Yes. Yes. And um, I am in a week, I'm graduating with my master's in education in curriculum and instruction. And um, I plan to fly with it. I have so many things that I'm in the middle of working on, projects that I feel are very important for our community to help 
everyone um, to really just take education to the next level. Okay, very excited to talk about that. So let's let's first set the stage over here. So we're, we're, everyone everyone has children in Jewish schools, from schools, boys, girls, and not, not everything is perfect. There's always room for improvement. So if you could just tell our audience what do you feel are the biggest problems that our schools are facing in terms of being able to educate our kids properly? So the biggest, there's a cycle. There's a cycle that there are not enough resources, skilled teachers or instructional plans. That leads to difficulties in the classroom with both students having the difficulties and the teachers. That leads to, you know, fires, emergencies, um, poor, which it, it's kind of like an intervention a little too late. Then there's poor retention rates. Then the schools are desperate for teachers. And then they repeat the cycle. And it's never a good time. It's never a good time to onboard teachers. It's never a good time to take a look at our instructional practices. But that means it's always a good time if it's never a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really have to build and get past that treadmill stage of just running and putting out fires and building that that first aid um, tent under the broken bridge. It's time to really focus on making everything more sustainable. Okay, so, the, so you're saying a big problem that schools have is that it's hard to find qualified teachers, and when they finally do, they, those teachers leave quickly, and they, they have to be replaced. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Is this this is not a problem? I don't see this being a problem in boys, the Hebrew department, like the Rebbeim. I don't. Rebbeim, right? Okay. So they that, tend to stay so there very long term. Right. So you're talking about either the girl schools for all, all departments or in the, in, for boys schools, but in the general studies department. Right. Right. And um, there are many, many similarities in the boys schools. And I've worked in the Hadarim. I worked very closely with my uh, co-teacher, you know, the, the Rebbe there, he's a veteran teacher. And um, it's not that those issues don't exist. Uh, again, I, I've worked very, very closely with him and with a lot of other educators um, you know, and, and now I'm working with a different Rebbe as, as my co-teacher. It's, there are a lot of issues and it is very much across the board. The only reason you don't see the same um, turnover rates with Rebellion is because it is a very highly competitive field. And um, a lot of Rebbe's don't really see that there's another option, that there's another way of doing it because it's either you're a Rebbe or you're a Rebbe or you're a Rebbe. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean there isn't a problem. Right. Okay. So, so you're saying the problem really is there. It's just that you're not seeing the turnover. Yes. Okay. Yes. The problems that are causing the turnover by other, for other teachers are there. It's just that they're not causing the turnover by Rebbein. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah. So, so, in your, so, so just before we even start like, talk, talking about how to, how, to, how to address the issue of turnover, what... What do you feel is, is makes a qualified a teacher or someone qualified to actually do the job of teaching? Like before a school hires someone, could they just hire anyone who knows the curriculum? Or is there more qualities or more, uh, they have to have more qualifications in order to become a good teacher? That's a great question. Um, there was one assumption there that they have to hire someone who only knows the curriculum. Most teachers do not know the curriculum. And most teachers in our schools are teaching at the same time that they're learning. Um, and that's because they're given a textbook and they're assumed that since you're a teacher, you know how to teach, which means you know this. And they don't. And if schools and especially um, leaders take on the job of being an instructional leader, 
which is basically saying, yes, I know that either if you're new to the school or if you're new to the entire teaching profession, you will need instruction on how to teach properly and how to reflect on your teaching practices and how to use the best practices for teaching. It's not simple. And um, I do believe that teaching is not something that people are born with. It's something they learn. We say Mazel Tov, it's a girl, or Mazel Tov, it's a boy. We don't say Mazel Tov, it's a teacher. The same way we don't say Mazel Tov, it's a leader. There's no such thing as a born leader. There's no such thing as a born teacher. All these skills are learned, and they must be learned. Mm -hmm. So, well, so when 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 the school is looking for someone, what, who are they looking? Who should they be looking for? They should be looking for someone besides for being a mentor or someone who fits into um, the moral fabric of their school. They should be looking for someone who is um, passionate, someone who is willing to take instruction and is willing to um, improve something that, you know, if, if let's say a teacher is willing to say, I'm not perfect, I made a mistake. And I've had that so many times in my career. And it, it's, it's like totally ego deflating to be like, I did that. That was really bad, but everyone has that. And, um, and being able to say that they made a mistake is a very, very big thing. Um, and, and really also, I mean, for everyone, it's, um, you know, in, in the classroom for me, when I, let's say, make a mistake with the math work, I've learned how to be okay with that. Be like, okay, see, everyone makes careless mistakes and leaders do too. Everyone does. But if our goal is on becoming better, then us being humans is an asset, not a liability. Okay. Yeah, obviously. So, so, so again, like, and how does it relate to us? A teacher comes into the classroom her first day. You're saying she doesn't even have to know the material so well. She just has to be willing to learn. Is that all? No. <laughs> is that all no. That so, so, so what? So, in the public school system. Teachers need to have certification in order to teach. It is obviously very important that a teacher um, knows the material. And in our school system, it's not really the same. You're not really going to have teachers. A, a science teacher will not necessarily have a teaching certification in science, um, you know, social studies, whatever it is. But there needs to be, first of all, the... Um, principals need to know that the teacher is competent in that area um, by some, in some way. The teacher needs to know that. And um, the, the, sorry, the principal needs to know that they're, they're competent. And also what I mean when I say a learning process and learning is that as the teacher is teaching and is a new teacher, they should be paired up with a mentor who can say, you know, this is what I do and be shown best practices. Not only in the subject area, but also in teaching in general. Mm -hmm. And are the teachers that are coming into our schools and teaching our children, are they being trained in teaching practices? Are they, do they have any background in that? Some obviously do, but the amount of teachers that come in with a teaching background already, with, with a with an education, a background in ed educational theory, with a background in understanding what they're supposed to do in the classroom is so little, is really, really slim. 
And I'm saying this from having seen a lot of schools. Um, this is not just a one school thing. This is many schools. Um, and I taught in two countries, so it's even not even only in this country. Um, it's, it's really just a very, you know, a lot of teachers come in um, because it's a job that they could get right out of seminary or it's a job that they could take if they've been learning for a long time. And I do not doubt that. I don't. But at the same time, they do need to be supported because there is less of a background there. And honestly, even if they have a teaching background in, in, in you know, educational theory, they still need help. Mm-hmm. Teachers need support. Okay. Now, do you see this being a problem, even on teachers, even for teachers that have been teaching for a while? Or is it something teachers, that they pick up over the, over, over, the, the, over, over the course of a few years of experience and being in the class? So they'll learn a lot by bumping in, into issues. And ouch, that hurt. That didn't work. A lot of that, a lot of trial and error. Um, if a teacher, an experienced teacher goes to a new school, they'll feel a lot like a rookie in many ways because each school's culture is very different. Um, school's protocol is very different. There's a lot that's different. And um, having nothing can beat having an instructional leader. Let's talk about classroom behavior. Many times children in the classroom will misbehave. And sometimes the principal has to be called. Is that something that teachers need more training for so that they should be able to maintain better control of the classroom? That is a tremendous question. And the answer is a resounding yes. There is something called PBSS, Positive Behavior Support System, which is a research-backed, proven method for having, um, you know, for, for really just helping with behavior. And I have taught some in some of the most challenging behavioral environments where the noise level from other classrooms was so loud that it was difficult to teach. Um, it has, if a teacher has the basic idea of what they're going to do when students misbehave, those students will be successful. There is, you know, I, I had, and I kind of bumped into this because I started teaching before I had any, um, educational background and I really bumped into a lot of these problems and I realized that having an educational background really, really would help me to be a better teacher. And um, there is a way when the school has a very strong resounding system of law and order, there will be law and order. Kids do not want to be bad. They do want to test boundaries. They want to see how much they can get away with. It's called being a kid. And if there is no law and order, there will be no law and order. Um, In the same way that in a work environment, can you imagine if you were working with 20 bosses and each of them had completely different standards, different rules and different everything. And you had to do all of that. You would also get frustrated. So why is it okay that a teacher can come in and have have teaching experience or not? And he has one plan and she has another plan, and every teacher's doing their completely separate little programs and bringing in their sodas and all these things that do or do not work. And I have a lot to say on 
that. But the point is, there's no reason for every teacher to go through a horrible first year. And I'm sure that every single listener knows what a horrible first year is. And it does not have to be that way. It just doesn't. Mm-hmm. Could you give us some examples of <laughs> horrible first years that you remember? There's like, like really bad <laughs> stories. How could I forget? <laughs> um, yeah. So, and, and I've, I've taught in, I want to give an example from one of the eight schools I've taught in. Um, this school, great school, very well-intentioned um, administration. I started out just substituting in this school. And the kids during recess, I was at the very beginning of my, my teaching. And I really, I didn't really know what I was doing. During recess, these kids went to the classroom and thought it would be funny, I guess, to take all the supplies in the room, turn them upside down, put pins on the seat, and the classroom was a wreck. It was every teacher's horror, literally horror. What age kids? Third grade. Individually, great kids. As a group, horror. Um, and I came back from recess and the kids said, you know, come, come back. They came into the room. Everyone, I was just shocked and they were all laughing. They thought it was just the funniest thing in the world. It was like another Purim, but it wasn't. And, um, I let the administrator know and the administrator said that they will be on their way three hours later (laughs) when the whole room was already back in shape. The person wagged their finger and left the room. Mm-hmm. And there was no follow-up. That's bad leadership. Mm-hmm. If that happens, and certain things are inevitable, if that happens, it doesn't have to happen like that. Let's say a kid does something like that. So a principal needs to come right away and deal with that. And I'm, I'm talking more of the, the fire stage. If there's already a fire, um, students need to be dealt with and and the a substitute needs to kind of have like a what went on here, what can we do differently to prevent something like that. But in the first place, there needs to be onboarding so that a teacher knows you make sure to lock that door when you leave the classroom so no kids come back in. And that's preventative. There's so much that, that can be done pre- to prevent all of the terrible things that go on. Mm-hmm. So, to, so let's talk a minute about leadership. And obviously, a lot of these issues are coming come down, both, both in terms of, of training teachers properly how to teach and, and giving teachers the tools to deal with this behavior and how to control classroom behavior. A lot of it is going to come down to the principals who are supposed to be overseeing these teachers. So talk to me about like, what is a principal's role today and what should a principal be doing to, 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 to support their teachers and make them better teachers so that they do a good job teaching? Right. So I've had some wonderful principals. I'm thinking of one specifically, actually two. They're a team. Um, a couple of things that they do. Number one, when I began there, I was given a rundown on student, uh, on, on expectations of the teacher expectations of the students, who to get in touch with 
what the protocols were for everything, um, communication, weekly communication, um, and then I've had some cases during this experience where uh, either a parent has called up to, to criticize or there have been di other difficult coworkers. Not only did the school deal with it, but I had the administrator call me up afterward to let me know that they are they support me and they appreciate what I do and they just want to make sure I'm okay. Do you know how much that means to a teacher? That is amazing. And I actually tonight I saw um, I saw a quote that so resonated with me and it said something like people don't leave education because of the students. They leave because of the adults. They, they don't leave because of the kids. They live, live because of their boss, because <laughs> of the adults. Yes. Um, I find that the worst, the most difficult and challenging times I've had were either with dealing with parents um, or bosses. Really? Mm -hmm. you know. And what could, okay, so, so let's talk about the solution now. What yeah. could a school do? We all, we, we, we all work very hard to pay our tuition to, so okay. that hopefully our kids get educated properly. And schools obviously are working with very, very minimal budgets. They don't have a lot of room. And they have to work with what they have in order to try to give the best experience for the, for the, for the teaching, for the, to, teach, to teach the student. So what could a school do to give a, 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 just a better experience overall for the teachers, for the students, the parents? What could they do? Absolutely. So first of all, imagine if you have a car, which you bought, used car, but it works really well. You scrape together a lot of money. And then you say, I used all my money and I don't have any money for gas. So I just won't buy gas. So going into education saying we're so strapped, but I will not look into best practices as saying I'm spending all my money on a beautiful car and I will not spend the money to make this thing go, to make it work. Here's the goal. Imagine if none of your teachers left this year and teachers imagine if any of the situations which you kind of felt like you bumped into by trial and error didn't happen. Imagine if that happened, well, that can happen by some very, with, with some very, very um, intentional steps. There are some best practices teachers can have, there are some best practices schools can have to make that happen, to not only have a behavior system, but to have an engagement system, a rigorous and direct engagement system to motivate students by making sure that I mean I'm I'm not going to give away all my secret sauce here, but by making sure that the lessons are done in a way where students kind of almost don't realize that they're learning, because a lot of the behavior problems are kids that need to say something very legitimate, and they're just acting out. I cannot remember one child in all my experience who acted out for absolutely no reason. That doesn't exist. It never does. They just don't know how to express it. So what are the reasons that they're acting? So either because they don't understand the work, it's really hard, or because they want to, um, they, they feel trapped in class and they need to have a break, or because they feel there was some sort of inconsistency with the teaching. Um, 
those are the top things or they're just downright bored. They're bored. They're, they're, they're too smart for the class? Either they're too smart for the class or they're just not, not stimulated. It's just boring to learn about whatever they're learning about and it doesn't hold their interest enough. Um, there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And there are so many things that can be done about that. There okay. Really yeah. So, so a teacher who's teaching to a, a, a class of 20, 30 kids sometimes, and each, each student, each child has another reason for feel, how they're feeling. And it's just, it, it, how does a teacher manage to deal with 20 or 30 different kids, each one with their own individual needs and, and, and concerns? So what I've done in, in my very large classes is a, a really honestly, first of all, you make your class a place where the biggest consequence is that you can't be part of that class. Which kid doesn't want to be in the most awesome class ever where you miss, if you're not there, you miss such a great lesson. And yes, it can be like that every day if you have the proper tools, it really can. I've done it and I've helped other teachers to do it. Um, It really works. And that is so preventative. Engagement is so preventative because only the children who have true, true problems will act out. Um, there are also obviously the, the other thing that happens a lot at the beginning of the year of testing boundaries. And when a teacher can come in and knows these are the rules and you may not cross this line and no, if you're late, you will get a late note. You don't think it's fair because you were going to the bathroom and, uh, well, this is the rule. And if you'd like, you can bring it up with the principal, but as a teacher, I know, and I'm not going to back down because kids without meaning to a lot of times want to put adults in that position of like, Okay. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You could have one more chance. That's because there isn't consistency and there aren't enough rules and the rules aren't laid down and kids think rules are negotiable unless proven otherwise. Mm-hmm. So, so there are certain systems that could be learned that the, the, the children pick up quickly and that transforms the whole feel of the whole environment of the classroom. 1000%. A thousand percent. There's that preventative measure. And then you have those kids who don't respond to that. And those kids need to know I've got my eyes on you and I'm going to be tracking your progress and I'm going to be informing your parents. And that does it for a lot of kids. And it's not it's not something that's mean. It's just something like, let's work on this together because we really want this to work. And I, I want you to have a good experience. I've said this to really young kids and I've said this to really old kids and they all respond well to it. I've never had a kid, never, even the worst kid, most biggest horror kid who did not respond well to that. I mean, the biggest horror kid just kind of shrugged and he couldn't say anything because he knew that was a nice thing to say that I wanted him to have a nice experience, you know? Um, and really, it, there are some kids Let's say I'm, I'm thinking of one particular kid who has untreated ADHD and even that did not work. So there's another tier called the functional behavior assessment, which is this behavior is serving a function. So once we get to the root of that, we can help. And then I had a conference with this child and with his parents and, and, and I've done this quite a few times. So it's not just one, you know, one child, one experience. But what I do is I set a goal. And not, sorry, I don't set a goal. I have the kids set a goal. And then 
that kid needs to come up with different ways to reach that goal. For example, if the goal is to pay attention and to um, not disturb and to, to have a productive day. So that will include raising his hand. Um, that will include uh, waiting patiently for a turn, you know, we'll include all different things. And then there's a rating each day. And these kids take ownership of it, especially when you ask them to rate themselves. Um, if you, if you feel they're, you know, mature enough to, and then all the data is tracked for the kid to see their improvement and for the adults to see what's going on and if it's working or if it's not working. And if it's not working, there are interventions that can be done. It is such a remarkable system that I've been able to share with other educators. And it's just seen so much success, not only by me, but nationwide. This has been done in many schools across the country. And you'll find as I have by reading many, many case studies, it's no surprise in all the schools which are rated as top schools, um, they all implement this system or some form of it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you, you have a program. You have, you have a program that you're working on. That, uh, that can help schools, help teachers, uh, help schools produce better teachers and better classrooms. So talk a little bit about it. What do you have and how could it, how could it help our schools do a better job? So I have um, two different areas. The first one is for administrators and the second one's for teachers. And there was a good quote of a good teacher is one who remembers what it's like to be a student and a good administrator is one who remembers what it's like to be a teacher. And for those two um, categories, I have two different things. For the administrators, there are two different things. One is teacher onboarding. The onboarding process can be streamlined. It can be done quickly and easily. And you can know that you're covering your bases, telling your teachers what they need to do in order to be prepared the first day. Send out, you know, a survey. Sorry. Send, send out a survey. Find out, you know, what teachers need to know in order to be successful at, at school and automate that process, streamline that. The second thing that needs to be done is to work on teacher retention. Teachers do not leave in a vacuum. Teaching is one of the most fulfilling careers. And very honestly, mostly it's because of the leadership. If a teacher is already in teaching, they've already come to terms with the fact that they're not being paid millions of dollars. They've already come to terms with the fact that they're in a classroom with kids and that they have to deal with parents, all that. And as long as they have good leadership, they will stay. They really will. And obviously there are things that are beyond control. You're never going to have a 100% retention rate. But if you cut out all of that teacher dissatisfaction and that low teacher morale, and it's possible, if it's done intentionally, it's possible, it can be done, and the rate of retention will increase exponentially. So this is something that the, the, the principals and administrators need to learn? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. We have teacher development, professional development, left and right. Pro, you know, principal professional development? Yeah, there's one principal summit, but that's not enough. Mm -hmm. Principals need support, too. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Then there's also for the teachers that which is it basically covers two areas. And one is the behavior research based, effective law and order consistency, 
clarity, communication of clear standards, and clear benchmarks of success, like increase, uh, sorry, a decrease in office discipline referrals, teacher feedback. There's also the academics. How to get to a goal. Teachers don't know what standards are. And by the way, standards are goals, academic learning goals. If you don't have academic learning goals, your students aren't going anywhere because you don't know where you're teaching them. There's that, there's backward planning, there's differentiation, there's motivation, data-informed instruction, planning to assist. And there's just assisting with teacher empowerment, teacher mastery. There, If there's a clear path to create good teachers, and if that's an intentional thing, it will happen. There's no need to reinvent the wheel. No one's got time for that. So taking a system that already works is a really good idea. And specifically what I'm offering is a system that works for the from community. I've been through wonderful professional developments that were not meant for the from community and that have been a big, 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 big waste of money because whoever it was, how well, however well-intentioned they were, doesn't understand uh, the fact that most teachers teach part-time, that most teachers don't have content area certification, that most teachers are coming into the classroom um, just th there's so many things in the from world that are very different from the way that a regular public school works. Mm -hmm. And that's why a specific approach is needed for our schools. Mm -hmm. Okay. So before we go, just a, a simple question. Do you, a lot of our principals, a lot of the principals in our, in our from schools have been there a very long time. Some of yes. them have been there 20, 30 years. You, you, you always hear uh, the low, the legendary principal of such and such a school who, yes. who was a principal for 55 years. So someone who's there that long, how, how willing are they to learn a, a skill, learn, to, learn, to learn a new method that they're not used to in order to improve the school? Do you find that to be a problem? Well, definitely a problem, yes. But I'll tell you like this. Think about a teacher, and I've seen a lot of these, who's been teaching in a classroom for 50 years. She refuses to use new, new textbooks. She refuses to listen to authority. She refuses to um, just change in any way. And she's using the same photocopies she used from 30 years ago and she's handwriting everything. How would that make you feel as, as a principal? So think about that and think about what an unhealthy thing that is and realize that those kids are suffering. And if a principal is not going to be changing, then people are gonna suffer. They really are. And we've got to see this as a business in order to be successful. There needs to be ongoing development. There need to be research-based principles. Our children are Yiddish and Hashemus. They're not guinea pigs. We have to do things that have been proven and that children have been responsive to. Um, and we have a very unique school system. And yes, there are people who are going to just do it because it's always been done. But those are not the innovators. That's not where the future is. That's where the past is. Mm -hmm. And if we want to educate children for the future, we absolutely must be willing to embrace new methods and become more and more effective. Yeah. Very true. Very true. And as a parent, we wish, we all would wish that we would have more say in how our child's school is run. And, uh, oh, yes. <laughs> and that's something that's very lacking uh, in all schools, but especially in our schools. Uh, it basically, you pay tuition and that's it. You have <laughs> just send exactly. in your check and you have very little say. 
and it's top uh, down yeah. leadership yeah. top down leadership really yeah. really doesn't work and i i i've just seen it doesn't work right so it's it's really up to people like us who are out there talking about this writing about this you know anyone just ra- raising awareness about this is the, is the only thing we can do to demand better because like you said we're, we're our children are our precious precious neshamas they need to be yeah. taken care of well and it's our job we're, and, and, and if we're not talking about this we're not doing our job well right and that's why i have been creating this you know professional development series for teachers and for administrators which i have been doing um, and I'm just doing in a much more streamlined way and putting together all the research and all the case studies and in a very engaging way, because I'm not going to teach how to be engaging in an unengaging way. Um, but, you know, it, it really is something that I feel is very much needed in our. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. OK, so tell people who are listening to this, so teachers or principals or parents who have some say and input into how the schools run how they can get in touch with you to learn about your program. Yeah. So the best way to get in touch with me would be to reach me by phone. Um, it's 443-465-3810. And um, then if you would like to email, it's from institution to inspiration uh, at gmail.com. Not, not from just in, institution to inspiration at gmail.com. Um, and my, that. yeah, my, my tagline is seeing eye to eye and it's not, like it's it's seeing and then the letter i and then to i and the first i stands for institution second i stands for inspiration seeing our institutions become places of inspiration mm-hmm. and what is the program it's it's a self-taught program no it's okay. a guided program um for both um administrators and for teachers and it's something that like all new all new ventures they, they, everything needs follow-up and it, and needs to be improved. And there's follow-up. There is, you know, first of all, there's buy-in. There's teacher buy-in. Nothing is given. It's not top-down. It's shared leadership. So it's all given with the teacher buy-in. There's follow-up. And there is motivation. There are motivational things that are put in place for teachers to want to um, really just join in with, with the improvement. And yes, it will be a little bit of money, but that's like... Not putting in a little bit of money is kind of like saying I will not fill up my car with gasoline because I don't have money. Yeah. Um, and yes, it will, you know, and, and it will help. And then also looking at how things, what's been successful, what's not, what can change. It's a whole big, it's a really big work. Yes. Okay. Very good. So I hope that the people listening to, to this program would reach, uh, reach out to Nima and find out about her program. Thank you. Yes, it's going to be available hopefully starting this summer in June. Very good. Okay, thank you very much, Nima. You've been listening to Chinuch 2.0, a show exploring the changes happening to how we do Chinuch. Chinuch 2.0 is hosted and produced by me, Aaron Parnas. You can subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts or on our website, chinuchshow.com. For suggestions, comments, or guests' ideas, please visit chenochshow.com. Thanks for listening.